In this week's episode, I'm joined by Dina Proto, founder and CEO of Equality Healthcare Consulting. This week, our conversation is about trans women competing in Miss Universe, indoor pickleball at Room and Board, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Dina, will you please tell folks a little bit about yourself? Hey, Bernadette. Thanks for having me. My name is Dina Proto. I am a registered nurse and I am CEO of Equality Healthcare Consulting. We work with healthcare organizations who are focused on improving patient outcomes and improving diversity, equity, inclusion for both their patients and their internal stakeholders. That sounds really interesting. Can you tell folks a little bit about what's needed in the healthcare arena? Like what are some of those gaps that make what you have to offer so important? Yeah, you know, in healthcare, we use this buzzword or buzz phrase, social determinants of health. And I think sometimes, um, you know, we use that as a justification for why somebody might have or be at a greater risk for one disease process or another. But what where we're lacking really is in applying our clinical experience and I would say informed compassion to using that information to provide quality care. So we might stereotype folks instead of using that information to to actually improve their health care because, because of our own unconscious bias unintentionally. Got it. And so can you give some examples of, of what that might look like in a day-to-day situation? Yeah. So it might look like a healthcare provider not asking the questions that would be important for a LGBTQ plus person who they're caring for, maybe not doing an appropriate physical or social assessment, um, healthcare assessment, somebody not using that information to appropriately screen for uh, increased risk for certain diseases, or not even being able to feel comfortable in that conversational piece because they get into this realm of we treat everybody the same. And so there's the importance that we treat everybody the same and we still have to customize the care that we provide to the person that we're treating. And so that's, there's this little nuance right in in the middle there. And so you have to learn that. And unfortunately it's not really taught consistently across the country. Oh, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that a lot of folks who are, let's say, um, you know, maybe anti-diversity are so because they think that diversity is all about special privileges, right? And so they're like, well, I, you know, I think everyone should should be equal and have have equality, but we need to first get equal by equity, right? <laughs> and so equity right. is about treating folks how 
meeting them where they're at, being mindful of their unique circumstances. And it certainly seems to make sense that this is a big challenge in the healthcare industry. Well, sure. And in fact, most of our healthcare system is set up for a very particular group of folks and doesn't even take into account all of the aspects of diversity that one might have. So, for example, in healthcare recently, pharmaceutical company in the FDA has required that clinical trials are now more inclusive for pharmaceuticals, whereas they did not do that in the past. So the patients mm. that they're rating our drugs on and, and determining whether or not they're effective for are more geared towards every aspect of diversity rather than just a finite group of people. So they're making sure that people can get the ability to participate in the trial, can be transported to that trial if it, that's necessary, or even um, some other aspect of a marginalized community so that the medications are rated for everybody as opposed to being used for marginalized communities and only rated based off of a, a, a smaller minority group of people. I think that's really, really important stuff. And, you know, it, it's not directly related to this week's topic, what I wrote about it in the Five Things newsletter, but I think that there's a link. So let me try this segue and see if it works. <laughs> so I wrote about sponsorship programs and how I had a conversation last week with an employee resource group leader who was, you know, explaining that after four years in leadership, they were burnt out. You know, the ERG members were increasingly disengaged. And, and this person asked for my advice. So my advice was that they lean more on their executive sponsor. And essentially, executive sponsors are folks who are often in the C-suite that are mentors, uh, sponsors of employee resource groups. And my point is that a lot of these times, these folks are underutilized, but people like to be asked for help. And your ERG members would be more likely to attend an event if the sponsor is there because they want to be seen, you know, so we want to create a room where it happens. Now, here's the segue. Let's try the segue. Um, one of our clients, Ferrara, has an ERG. Every, every ERG has a listening session directly with the CEO. And so having access to the CEO or someone in the C-suite who will actually listen to them, that's a form of equity. That's a form of sort of meeting folks where they're at and listening to the unique needs of distinct mm -hmm. communities. So I, um, I shared a post that Natasha Miller-Williams, who's this, uh, the director of DEI at Ferrar, the VP of DEI, wrote about on LinkedIn. So all of that will be posted in the show notes. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept of sponsorships and meeting folks where they're at. Is there any correlation that you see here in healthcare? Well, sure. I think that, I think that people need to be heard, right? Patients need right. to be heard. And if we are designing healthcare for a one size fits all kind of solution, we're not really meeting people where they're at and helping them to be heard. And right. the, other, the other piece to that is that if we're hearing only to hear what resonates with us versus things that don't necessarily resonate with us, then we're not actually listening either. Absolutely. So, you know, when we come to a conversation, it's kind of like the person that you're having a conversation with and the whole time you're talking, they're already thinking about their rebuttal, right? 
instead of mm-hmm. listening with curiosity to hear what you have to say and then responding appropriately to the information that you've provided. And I think that that would be the best example in healthcare if we're listening for the response that we want or what we've already de- predetermined based off of our own perceptions and biases, um, mm-hmm. then we're not really meeting people where they're at. We're stereotyping them. We're making assumptions about the symptoms that they have or the reasons that they have whatever their symptoms are or their diagnosis mm-hmm. is rather than looking to solve the actual issue for that person as they perceive it yeah. and using, and using their, their, their own clinical signs and symptoms as opposed to projecting onto them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for getting into that with me. I appreciate it. Let's move into this week's good vibes. Now, the first story comes from the FDA and the Red Cross, which recently, I believe in August, this went into effect, revised their policies regarding blood donation from gay and bisexual men in the U.S. who were previously banned from blood donation due to concerns about HIV. So now the updated guidelines, they now permit these men to donate blood if they've been been in a monogamous relationship for the past three months. So it's progress, and it does mean that it will increase the blood supply by about 4%, potentially saving 1.6 million lives. We celebrate progress here, Dina. Absolutely. (laughs) We've waited for that one for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's imperfect. I mean, you must have some feelings on the the imperfections of this policy, but. Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of imperfections with it, but let's start with the positives, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in order, in order to be included, you have to have the ability to be accepted at that, at that space. So we are so very happy. It's too many decades too late. Um, and and uh, I'm glad that we are beginning to correct that. That, I, you know, m- misperception. I think, you know, people were misinformed or didn't have enough information. And, and science has come so far in all of those decades. So, you know, it, what might seem prudent in the moment, sometimes we tend to not take those rules and regulations off our books across all aspects of our our political and and legal system. So so there are positives. So we're going to increase the blood supply. I think that's excellent. I think the other thing that I see that's positive is that I've had opportunity to work with some blood donation centers, and they are beginning to implement those changes, and they're beginning to train some of their internal staff in how to communicate with and um, and remove some of the the um, discomfort in doing an actual assessment uh, questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that those are positives. I I think that the education in town we can improve education um, for healthcare employees. I think that's better. Um, right. So I think that's great. I think that there will be more outreach in the community. I think that's stellar. And I think if they can appropriately reach out to communities where these where folks are and present a sincere desire to be more inclusive, I think that that will go far with with having more folks donate. 
I think that that's an excellent win. I think in some of the states where there are laws where employees are entitled to decline to work with certain patient demographics because of their own preferences, I think that those states could see some hurdles. Oh, Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so now we have, there's, so there's almost like a, um, a tug of war between, Mm. you know, the the new law says that we're going to be more inclusive for obtaining, you know, blood and, and including more people that can donate. And then we have other laws that are in conflict saying, you know, people can, as healthcare workers can decline to take care of certain demographics. And so those organizations in those states might see um, some conflict between the new regulations mm-hmm. and and what people are are uh, what staff are doing. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, the second story comes from Room and Board, which is based in Minneapolis, which has an indoor pickleball court at its office, encouraging employees to use the court, emphasizing the importance of blending work and fun while providing space and tools for employees to de-stress. It's become a very popular benefit at this office. And as a big fan of pickleball, I love this. And although it might not be a sport that's accessible to everyone, I personally have played with a wide range of players, um, including someone in a wheelchair. And I think it it, it really is a multi-generational, multi-ability kind of thing. So I love this story, not just because I'm a fan of pickleball, but I I love anything that focuses on employee well-being. Yeah, I think um, I think it's more important. And I love that you brought up that you played with somebody in a wheelchair. I think more and more organizations are seeking to meet um, diverse internal stakeholders wherever they're at, right? And yeah. so that includes ability. And I and I do think um, whether it's physical ability or uh, neurodivergence ability, I think mm-hmm. that. I think that that time for that well-being, going out and having some moments to exercise, and I, you know, I would question you: like, do you have greater moments of clarity because you've stepped away? You know, when you're when you're in the weeds, it's really hard to see the answers to things or problem solve. But then when you can take a step back, just relaxing, you probably are coming back much more powerful and have had some rejuvenation in in your critical thinking abilities. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of mindfulness that's really important. That's part of pickleball. Otherwise you're going to get, you know, (laughs) you're going to hit with the ball. Um, And there's a sense of teamwork and collaboration. And Mm -hmm. certainly after I play pickleball in the morning, I'm ready to tackle the day. So I feel, you know, very productive. And I think it, it does for me check a lot of boxes that I can only imagine would be really beneficial for someone who's sort of stuck in a cubicle all day as well. Well, sure. And if you think in terms of uh, remote workers today, mm-hmm. because many people are working post-pandemic or are working at least some hybrid schedule of, of remote, so there is even fewer opportunity to connect with their coworkers. So I think yeah. that improves it there. And I do think from a you know a leadership development standpoint, in terms of understanding your peers and your colleagues, I think that there's a lot to be said for that. You know, maybe maybe you can take something away from their style. In, in how they might respond to a stressful situation or problem solve that you might not have picked up in the office over the phone or over a Zoom. It's true. That's true. All right. So the third story this week comes from Miss Universe, whose 2023 pageant will feature at least two transgender women. 
Marina Machete from Portugal and Ricky Cole from the Netherlands will compete in the pageant, which I think is just absolutely amazing that we're seeing this kind of inclusion at a global scale when we are experiencing a lot of anti-trans backlash here in the U.S. and in the U.K. It's great. It is phenomenal. And I love how the Miss Universe pageant has broadened the inclusion of who can actually participate in terms of whether somebody's married or divorced mm-hmm. or single or has children. So I love all of the inclusivity. And I yeah. I do think, you know, I think really she's created an opportunity to talk about what defines a woman and what is womanhood. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many variations of what that is. And mm-hmm. I love that people get to bring their full selves to that, to that experience. And we can celebrate all of those variations. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. All right. Fourth story comes from Australia where e-learning is transforming workplace earning, which has found that in Australia, inclusive e-learning has led to 228,000 more tertiary qualifications, a 4.5 billion boost in salary and $40 billion market by eliminating barriers to learning. It's really an interesting uh, approach that Australia is taking. They're really emphasizing this and it's really taking a big role, especially in DEI topics. So great, great data out of Australia. Yeah, um, and I think it, you know, it speaks to the the increase in um, meeting again that generation yeah. where they're at, right? And and so some of the older generations learn in different ways, and we so we're looking at at how folks learn and take in information and increasing access. Yeah. So it, it increases access to folks that would not have opportunity. Maybe they live in smaller towns or smaller cities and and states or they're more rural. So I think there's an opportunity there for people to actively participate in all aspects. And I I think too, when you do e-learning, you can, again, speak to all of the learning methods that folks might have, right? And so if somebody's got an ability that needs to be adjusted, maybe there's a site or a vision or a physical ability or neurodivergence, you know, maybe some people learn better because of different layouts and formats or yeah, all different styles of learning. And I think that, I think that the more we do that, the more we include people at the table again. So all of those things, every one of those topics leads you strategically right back to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Exactly. So many ways to be inclusive. And this fifth story is about accessibility. Google is expanding its accessibility features, which include wheelchair accessible walking routes on Google Maps, live view with screen reader capabilities for blind and low vision users, and a new identity marker for disabled owned businesses. How cool is this? I love it. I think it's amazing. And I was actually online playing with it earlier. (laughs) Um, to see if I could figure it out, not being the very tech-savvy person. And it it was surprisingly very easy to use. And you do have the ability to self-identify. And I think that that's great because then organizations or or individuals who want to support 
organizations who support them have the opportunity to to do that. And you can see where you're welcome. And yeah, I love that. I think it's the neatest thing. Yeah, absolutely. Google has actually been leading the way in a lot of accessibility projects for years now. They have a whole team dedicated to accessibility. So it's it's great. Well, thank you, Dina. You've been an amazing guest here on Five Things in 15 Minutes. How can folks connect with you? Sure. Um, thank you. So you can reach out to me at Equality Healthcare Consulting. Uh, so Dina at EqualityHealthCareConsulting.com. And our website is uh, www.equalityhealthcareconsulting.com. Awesome. Thank you. And folks, this week's call to action is a recommended reading called 10 Reasons Why Inclusion is a Competitive Advantage. So if you find that you are still making the case for inclusion and belonging within your own organization, this is a new reading article that has some great tips that can uh, end sound bites for you, that you can, as you make your case. Folks, thank you so much for joining me. Hope you have a great week. And if you don't already subscribe to the Five Things newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI 